Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome to the show made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. It's Julian DeStoop sitting in for Sam Edmund. Today, our best of summer series continues with our chat with one of Australia's greatest ever middle distance runners, Genevieve Gregson. Genevieve Gregson is a three-time Olympian, a dual Olympic finalist, an Australian record holder in the gruelling 3,000 metre steeplechase. But, as we know, millions of our Aussie hearts sank during the Tokyo Games when Jen ruptured her right Achilles on the last water jump of the final on the day of her 32nd birthday. Genevieve, welcome, and we appreciate you donating your time. No, thank you for having me. I I enjoy talking about it now that I can look at it as hindsight, but... um, yeah, hopefully my story is interesting for others. And you've done a lot of talking about it. So nine months on now, aren't we, from Tokyo. So I can only imagine it's been therapeutic for you because you've been generous enough to, you know, repeatedly let let people in. Yeah, no, I, I do enjoy talking about it. I think early on it was hard. I, I did a lot of interviews where, uh, similar to how I was on Channel 7, I break down. Um, I think that was more just a coping mechanism. Um, you know, it is raw for an athlete to have to experience that on the world stage and, you know, for everyone to see, but looking back now, um, I've, I've accomplished so much, even just since then, um, my Achilles is better than ever, believe it or not. I'm back running on it and, um, I'm sure we'll touch on it, but I'm 35 weeks pregnant. So there's plenty to be happy about now Indeed. Um, looking back at Tokyo. So not, uh, look, not at all comparing it to life or death, but if there's five stages of grief with that, has this been similar in that regard? As to, to, and you've obviously come oh, full circle now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, when people ask how I deal with it, you know, what, what's your process of getting over adversity like that? And it, it's, it is the five stages. I mean, the first one was definitely um, accepting and grieving the loss of, of my career at the time. Um, I, I had 2021 pinned as definitely my best season yet uh, to date. And even right before I stood on that line in the final, I'd pretty much accomplished more than I ever have before. And I was in the best shape of my life. So after that final um, and, and sitting in that water pit, I did spend a lot of time just being sad and crying and, and accepting that this wasn't how I'd pictured it, but Um, you know, that sucks and that's life. And from there it was, you know, making a plan, um, choosing another goal to set my sights on and just, yeah, adapting really and and working out where from here. So just coming back to that water pit, there is an incredible photo, if I may say, it's probably not the right phrasing, but it is, it's an amazing photo of you lying on the track and, and 
it's probably one of many, but you're clutching your right Achilles in that moment. And there's an expression on your face that I think the world's best actors couldn't recreate. I mean, what do you see in that photo or the, or those of its kind? Yeah, I mean, that photo, is flo- that photo has floated around a lot. It actually, in the UK, the photographer that took it won an award of Best Sporting Photographer of the Year. Um, so I've right. seen it quite a lot. And I think for that reason, exactly, it, it captures just... Um, that exact raw emotion and shock and yeah disbelief, uh, even a little bit of confusion because I was holding my right ankle, which for so long has been my trusty foot, not my bad left Achilles. Um, but it's hard to really explain what those few, it would have only been seconds really that I was lying in there. I don't think I was there for a whole lot of time, but um kind of comprehending what it meant from there. I knew it was ruptured. I think as soon as I put my hand on my Achilles, I kind of, you know, my career flashed in front of my eyes and I thought a ruptured Achilles firstly is a terrible thing. It could be the worst thing that could happen in this time. And and what does this mean for me now? And it's all in my face in that split moment. It's like I'm I'm having every one of those thoughts in a matter of a millisecond and, um, it's hard to explain because it, it does definitely feel a bit like a blur now because um, mm. you black out the real traumatic things that happen. But um, I do look at that photo. I don't ignore it. I, I actually, I, I like it because I can't explain exactly in the right words what I was feeling, but that photo somehow paints a thousand words. Um, for people watching. It is an amazing photo. And don't worry, we're not going to spend the whole interview talking about the Achilles. I just want to ask one specific one. I mean, what what do you remember now, nine months on? I mean, is it the noise? I mean, the Achilles, for those who have done them, say they can snap so aggressively. I imagine it's a noise you've never heard before and hopefully you never hear again. Yeah, it's, I've heard of, I heard all those stories before I ruptured my Achilles. I was very, I was well aware of, of, what rupturing your Achilles sounds like, feels like, um, what it means. And I think because I've always had a bad Achilles, we used to always joke um, that rupturing it would be the worst possible case that could happen. I think we even threw that around before the race when I had a sore foot. But um, it, yeah, it was a gunshot. It was landing in a in the water pit and something so powerful hitting the back of your leg that you, yeah, you almost look behind you to think, who shot me or did someone stand on me? Um, I think because I'd been carrying the injury for a long time in my other foot, uh, when I came down with such weight, because I'd been compensating for so long, I didn't, a lot of people that I talk to say, Oh, I look behind, like they might've been on a soccer field and they say, I look, I thought someone kicked me. I'm looking around and I'm confused for me. I think I realized it was a ruptured Achilles straight away, but maybe that's because I heard the gunshot felt the sensation in the back of my heel and knew that I just tried to land one foot in a water pit for the what 70th time in the last few days. So it didn't um, take long for me to really uh, comprehend it, but it's funny. I was tagged in a early on a few months ago. Now I was tagged into a Facebook group and it's recovering ruptured Achilles people. And they all share their story. Like what they're going through in their story. And I'm just like, well, we're all in this together. It's, it's definitely a cult forming of the ruptured Achilles group. So oh, it's a thing. Now, you mentioned earlier, I mean, where are you at now in terms of your recovery? Because uh, some people might not be aware, but you obviously had surgery on both legs and both Achilles. And I was reading the Queensland Academy of Sports sound like they've been absolutely amazing. So 
we'll get to the fact that you're about to start a family soon, but where are you at right now in terms of your, your, your physical health? Yeah, two really good Achilles ready to go. I'm being <laughs> held back by the fact that I have another human growing inside me and I'm about 20 kilos overweight. Um, but that, that, that was something that I probably didn't know was around the corner. I knew the rehab was going to be insane coming back from a ruptured Achilles. And I also knew speaking with my sports doctors over the last five years, my left Achilles needed a dressing. It, it needed a bone shave and a cleanup because uh, it's been something that's nagged me for so long. But with Tokyo, when we thought it was in 2020, there wasn't enough time. And then even when it got pushed, there still really wasn't enough time to get that surgery. So um, initially facing two Achilles surgeries was very overwhelming, but um, once I got the right ones pretty much stitched up within the week of doing it, um, yeah, I was back rehabbing probably at the sixth week. There wasn't much I could do before that. I was in a boot and crutches and not weight bearing whatsoever, but the minute I could, I went into the QAS and I just had an awesome team jump on board and pretty much take the reins of my rehab. And it would have started pretty pathetic, which just was me taking my foot out of a boot and learning to walk and move my toes properly again, uh, right up until, I mean, now we're, we're getting on a Smith machine and, and ISO holding like weight, like a 60 kilo single leg calf raise. Um, you know, that, so the Achilles is pretty strong right now, but right up until my second surgery, which I had in January, I got back to running an hour a day. I actually, the morning of surgery, I was 22 weeks pregnant and, um, ran an hour and I came in and they were asking if I'd been fasting and if I hadn't had any fluid. And I said, Oh, I did have one glass of water, but I sweat more. So it should be out of my system. And I told them that I'd run 12 K in the morning and they just thought I was absolutely lunatic, but um, I was trying to squeeze one last run in before um, this next surgery and also because I knew the later stages of pregnancy wouldn't allow me to run anyway. So um, I would say my two Achilles surgeries have been a huge success and um, believe it or not, the Achilles isn't pretty to look at, but the ruptured one is working um, as good as I could expect and I just hope that I can test it out uh, after the baby comes out. So your husband, Ryan, this obviously means that his piggyback membership has well and truly expired now. Yeah, he has not piggybacked me in a long time, but he wouldn't want to right now anyway. <laughs> I want to talk um, I want to talk about the two of you later because you are such a team and uh, you needed your teammate to get through all of this. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I like, uh, I'm sure everyone knew from my interview, but as soon as I ruptured my Achilles, he was pretty much the only person I spoke to for about three or four days, just purely because I wasn't ready to face um, reality and, and even family included in that. Uh, he's just been someone that, you know, I've always turned to, but in a time of need, he says the right things and he doesn't, you know, cradle me and tell me everything's going to be okay and it's perfect. He he gives me what I need to hear and, and helps me move forward. So we are a good team. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Wheatgrass, beetroot juice, pawpaw with Greek yogurt. We're going to head to Genevieve's childhood home and an uber professional diet as a youngster after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to Olympian Genevieve Gregson. So, Jen, am I right in saying Springwood Road, Daisy Hill, Queensland, was this the main home for you as a kid? Uh, no, I pretty much, you'd say my main, I had two childhood homes growing up. Um, I started on a farm. We were on 120 acres inland from the Gold Coast in a small town on top of a hill called uh, Mount Tambourine. Yep. And then, you know, from about um, grade, at the end of grade four, when I was heading into grade five, we moved to, yeah, Springwood. We went to John Paul College and that's where, that's where my running years really took off, I would say, in Springwood. Um, I, yeah, fell in love with cross country and athletics and a whole lot of other sports. And yeah, I guess the rest is history. Pretty much when I turned 18, I was off to America. So four kids at home, wasn't there? And all, I think, a year apart at John Paul College. Or I think all sport mad were, or are you all close? Yeah, so we're all, essentially, my mum was pregnant for five years with four kids. Um, <laughs> don't know how she did it. But it was a blessing for us because, like I said, when we lived on a farm, uh, we didn't really interact with any other kids but ourselves. And we used to just um go adventuring and and get into all sorts of trouble just in our own land and um I think it definitely created that type of sporting background I think it was inevitable with my parents the way they raised us but that was definitely a huge um contribution to us being sporty and you know loving the outdoors and being very competitive amongst each other so dad Tony mum Donna your dad Tony was or might still be a pharmacist now the dieting sounds interesting now this was his baby wasn't it He, he was big on the diet (laughs) <laughs> yeah he was massive I I never thought it was weird um at the time I mean I'm sure I thought it was different to what my friends were doing but looking back now it's it's funny to think the the things he had us doing I, I still believe in them I think they were all great things yeah, but yeah. my dad because he's a pharmacist still is he even has that same mentality like I'll call him up and say oh what do you think about um me taking this um, medicine or this thing and he's just like no don't do it for a pharmacist he's all about you know being natural and I was an asthmatic as a kid and he didn't like me having Ventolin so um, he was always putting our health first and making sure that he was up to date with research and trying different vitamins that our bodies need but I think the craziest one was yeah uh, wheatgrass every morning so some crazy people buy this wheatgrass at like juice stores and stuff and it is foul like it is the most gross tasting thing I've ever had but we grew it and he would give us all a shot of wheatgrass in the morning just for our immune systems um yeah for years and years I think for a while like we all had just gag reflexes and we're bombing it up and then we just got too scared to vomit it up because we knew it was really expensive. So we had to just keep shotting it every morning to be healthy. But in saying that, I my husband says I have one of the best immune systems he's ever come across. He we before COVID struck, he couldn't pick a time where he remembers me even having a headache, headache let alone a um, flu or a cold or you know some sort of virus. So. Mm. Who knows? Maybe everyone should be shotting wheatgrass every day of their life from a young age. My kids are going to get a shock tomorrow morning when I dish up the wheatgrass. And and did you ever? You must have had friends come over for sleepover and, and wake up in the morning oh. and say, "Where's the Fruit Loops? What's this? What's this poor, poor and Greek yeah. yogurt all about?" Like Fruit Loops was the devil. Like if if my dad was out of town, my mum would sometimes yeah try treat us to like some soft drink, God forbid, or yeah, Fruit Loops might have popped up or Cocoa Pops, but we were not allowed that type of cereal. It was, I don't think we were allowed cereal unless it was, um, you know, oatmeal or something. Um, 
but dad would always make pawpaw. <laughs> it's just standard ingredients. It was pawpaw cut up with passion fruit, orange juice and Greek yogurt. And it was like, that was the go-to every morning. He still does it. And weirdly, I do it again. It's like I've done a full 360. I rebelled and when I moved out of home, probably ate everything but healthy things. Um, but now, yeah, back at home, I make Ryan like a muesli every morning and I sometimes have the pawpaw and Greek yogurt. So no Fruit Loops. My friends probably hated coming to our house. I think I probably spent my life going to my friends' houses uh, <laughs> so that I could look in their cupboard and just in awe of chips and chocolate and lollies but the funny part about all this is ryan was raised the complete opposite to me like we his family home is still the way it was when he grew up and it's just yeah any treat you can imagine is in that cupboard or in the fridge and you can tell the person that was deprived from it because when i'm at his house i just sit there eating all the chocolate and the chips like i'm still a you know 15 year old girl so you have a talent in and obviously a love for, for running. And so when you, we skip forward, your last year of school, you get several emails from US colleges offering you scholarships. Now, your parents wanted you to go to the University of Florida. And I've got to say, most parents would, I suppose, because they're just looking at the free education first and foremost yeah. and a good one. And you could continue running. But w- was it something that you thought at that point you could make a career out of? Or was it If it was up to you solely, would you have gone there? No. And that's the really scary thing. So I, like, I thank my parents to this day. And anytime I'm asked about this, I have parents email me and say, you know, we've been contacted because little Billy's talented. Um, And I'm always, always all for it because I mean, the college system over there is insane. It's like they have an endless pit of money because of uh, American football that pulls in so much of a crowd, even at a college level. Um, They're just, it's, it's a professional setup for an 18 to 22 year old. And it really scares me to think that if my parents weren't pushy and let me make that decision, I wouldn't have gone to America. I wouldn't have made my first Olympics and I wouldn't have been a professional athlete because I mean, who hears of of being a professional runner in high school in Queensland? I mean, maybe in Melbourne, you hear of it just because we have so many examples now, but um, back in 2007, um, when I graduated in no part, did I think that I could be a professional athlete or an Olympian? I wanted to be an Olympian. I dreamt of it, but I didn't think that was reality. So when I was offered these scholarships, I I even responded to some and said, thank you, but no thanks. I'm not interested. I'm going to university on the Gold Coast and doing what my brothers do is being a, being a normal person. Um, and it wasn't until my parents, you know, were reached out to as well, just because I was a minor and they just said, look, we can offer your daughter this, this, and this, um, we're, we'll even have you over for a recruiting trip. So they flew us over there to have a look at the schools, hoping that we accepted. Amazing. Um, and like, it's just, yeah, it was just one of those opportunities where a parent would be silly to pass off. And I think they knew my reasoning wasn't good enough. I kind of said, I don't want to leave home at 18. I don't want to not be in a family house. I'm too young. And I don't even think I like running anymore, but it was me just avoiding, um, you know, getting out of my comfort zone. And it did take me a while to adjust, but I just can't imagine what my life would have been if I didn't go. And it, it also changed who I was. You know, I came from a very small bubble protected environment where I was maybe a big fish in a small pond at school. And, you know, I needed to be 
put in a situation where I was tested and, and I faced adversity and, and things were hard. So yeah, it, it's a scary sliding door moment, but I'm so grateful for my parents. Yeah. And I can see why you had your doubts. I mean, I was reading that your dad would train you at nearby Daisy Hall Forest there and he'd let you go off for your runs. He wasn't about to come with you, but you just sit down in the forest and have a think for a while before returning home, pretending you've just been running the whole time. Yeah, I was a I was a rebel. I tried to run away from home. I don't know where I went or where, where I was intending on going and for how long, but it was, you know, me saying, if you make me go to America, I'll run away from home. And they said, well, if you don't go to America, you're going to have to go find somewhere else to live. So we were kind of in a standoff situation. And then I started to think, well, maybe if my running goes bad, the college won't want me. And yeah, I was heading off into Daisy Hill Forest, just so frustrated and upset at the situation where I would sit in the forest and wait for 40 minutes to go by. And then I'd come back home, make it look like I'd been out training. And so, yeah, my, my running did go downhill before I turned up to college, but there was so much of me that was scared of going that I started to blame it on the fact that I had running as a talent and it was the reason why I had to go. And, you know, it made me question whether I wanted to run on anymore, but I mean, running was really the constant I had throughout college that brought me the most happiness when I was lonely or homesick. And, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't throw it away because I was a scared 18-year-old and, and being a bit bratty. So I don't want to dwell on this, but you did find it hard to settle over there. And obviously to make matters worse, what was it? Some five or six months later, there was some trouble back home, which would have been the last thing you would have needed at the best of times, let alone in this vulnerable stage of your life. Mm-hmm. And and I think that subconsciously played a lot in it as the only girl in the family. Um, you know, you like to feel that you have some sort of control of keeping the family together and, and being there for your mum. But, you know, six, yeah, five to six months into my trip over there, uh, my parents really unexpectedly separated. And for a long period of time, I thought that me being home, I could have fixed this situation. I think as a kid, you think it's it's much straightforward than it actually is and obviously your parents separate because it's in context and there's a lot a lot of trouble under the surface but for me I kind of blamed on the fact that I was in America and not there to help and I knew my brothers wouldn't be offering the emotional support my mom might need and um, it was just a hard time to deal with when I already wasn't happy being in America and and felt like it was unfair that I was there Um, and I think really the thing that changed it is I convinced my mum to come and see me because I knew she was struggling and she ended up coming over to Florida and spending like a month with me on like the floor of my dorm or something like it would have been very tragic (laughs) because your street cred (laughs) it was just to have her close and and it was for me to know that she was okay and and her to um, tell me it was okay and after that I, I honestly think as soon as she left, um, that's when my running really took off. I ended up making uh, the national team as a freshman, which you know doesn't normally happen. And um, every year progressively got better and better until my final year where I made the Olympics. So my brothers to this day say, oh, you're so lucky you weren't there during that year of, of the divorce because you know no family wants to watch their family home be uplifted and, and people go their separate ways. And maybe that's true, but it is hard to to be away from home since you're 18 and, and miss so many significant moments. And that's pretty much what my career has been. You know, I've missed, you know, my family splitting up, but I've also missed birthdays and, and funerals and weddings mm. and um, so many occasions. So it's just, it's part of the job, but um, yeah, there's, there's always the sacrifices you have to make along the way. Yeah. Enormous sacrifices. You're with, this is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin brothers, funeral celebrating lives. You can catch them online at Tobin brothers. 
sportsnet.com.au. So as you just heard, Jen's off to the London Olympics, but there's some controversy attached with that as well. We'll delve into that after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with Olympic steeplechaser Genevieve Griggs. And so, Genevieve, by your senior year at Florida, as you mentioned before the break, 2012, you make the Olympic team. You're going to the London Games. I mean, what a euphoric moment this must have been for you. Yeah, it was a really, like, it was a fairy tale dream um, coming to reality. But there was a period there where... Um, it was almost too good to be true. I think in uh, well, I've ended up making controversial statements probably many a times in my career. But at that moment in time, I'd qualified for the Olympic Games about twenty four, somewhere between twenty four and forty eight hours too late. Um, I was well aware that I was trying to qualify for the Olympics outside the timeline. However, the one thing that I thought I had on my side was. Um, the rest of the world had not had their Olympic trials and no team was selected yet. Australia just being in the Southern Hemisphere and having a backwards season, um, I just thought if I run fast enough, you know, they they can select me. So, yeah, I, I had my dad with me, actually. It was my final year of college. I had uh, the national championships where I thought if I ran really well and I won it, I would get the qualifying time. Um, but turns out it was a very tactical race. It was pretty much a two-man race. Me and another girl that ended up being in my heat at the Olympics, actually. Um, we ended up just having a, a battle in the last few laps and the time not being very fast. And I came second. So I walked away very disappointed and thought that was my Olympic dreams, kind of down a drain. But I had someone come up to me and say, look, we're putting on a race in Indiana. If you fly there now, the race is in two days. Um, it's, a, it's a race set up to run fast and you might be able to get the Olympic time and your country could select you. Little did they know we'd already essentially selected our team that night. Um, but I thought, you know, I'm fit, I'm ready. What else am I going to do? My college career has ended. You know, what, what now? I'm not running professionally. And I went to Indiana, wrote all the times on my uh, hand. Like I literally had the 400 meter splits on my hand and um ran it like clockwork, just made sure I hit every split to a T. I must have just been in an autopilot sort of zoned out um, mindset, but I still remember crossing the line in 9.41, which was actually a nine-second PB at the time, and I just looked at my dad, and we, you know, naively were both like, we're going to the Olympics, but, um, you know, we called home, and I think we even spoke to Career Mail at the time, and we talked to Athletics Australia, and we called my school, which is like typical. That probably was my dad's lead to call my high school. Um, and from there, it it really was exciting because I had a lot of people telling me this is amazing, and you go into the Olympics. But then I had the federation saying, "No chance. Like we've selected criteria's done, closed. Um, you know, no one qualified in the three K steeple. So even though they were telling me it was all uh, case closed." We didn't have one single girl that had the time and was on the plane to go to London. So I knew we had some sort of case and lucky for me, it just picked up so much media and attention that to the general public, people were just mind blown. They're like, we have a girl that 
you know, can run the time. She's 22. Why not? And yeah. before we knew it, my good old mate, John Coates, uh, <laughs> reached out to the media and said, if, if Athletics Australia nominate her, we will 100% send her to London, but she has to be nominated. So it put all the um, fire and limelight on Athletics Australia to, to make the right decision. And, and thankfully they did. And within two weeks, I'd sent through all my measurements for my uniform and I was on a plane to London um, where I got to hang out with Ryan for a few weeks and yeah, go experience my first Olympic games. And um, like I said, a, a fairy tale, an absolute dream. I ran on my birthday. I did a PB in my heat. I didn't make the final, but my whole family traveled over and my parents decided for the first time since their divorce in 2009, they were going to um, reunite and just be a, um, you know, a, a positive and, an, and loving front for me just because it was such a significant moment and it really brought my family together. And my, my parents have been best friends since, you know, it didn't rekindle their love, but they um, are so supportive and, and interact. And I just think 2012 was one of those moments you write down in your memory as just um, a dream, a dream come true. That is so nice. That is uh, really well said. That's super nice. Um, and what a great moment in your life. The, I wanted to ask about the brutality of the steeplechase. And I mean, injuries aren't new for you. We could go back and talk about, you know, Birmingham and the Diamond League and shattering your ankle. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the, the, it's the race where you jump in the water seven times. Like it asks an enormous amount of the body, doesn't it? You once called it scary, which is, I don't know if it's an appropriate word or a gross understatement. It's a, it's a brutal event. Yeah, I think it's an understatement in a way now when I look back, but the reason why I was so attracted to the event was just the unknown. There was There's so much going on and it's 3K, like it's not even a, um, you know, good distance. It's a long way. It's <laughs> seven and a half laps. There's um, four barriers and a water jump to jump. And it just, it it kind of incorporates power, like anaerobic, aerobic, endurance like there's just everything you could possibly think all packaged in one race and then also that underlining fear of falling or running into a barrier that literally doesn't move if you hit it it's not like the hurdles um so it's brutal it's very brutal and and like you said I've had my fair share of injuries from the event um but you know there's something exciting about that I love to watch the steeple and maybe it's like a sick sort of fantasy I have that people you know anything could happen and people could fall or rupture their Achilles, but it's so much can happen. Like leads can change within one jump in that last barrier in the final straight. I just think it's pure athleticism and um, at its finest and to, to see it at a high level, I still, even to this day, we'll, we'll turn it on and watch it at any, any race, just, purely for the excitement of it your journey is so chock full of sliding doors moments so that that Birmingham injury prompts you to move from Florida where you'd remain post-graduation so you come to Melbourne you train with the Melbourne Track Club and this is where you strike up a relationship with a certain Ryan Gregson now I just want to talk about Team Gregson for a moment because hadn't you met years earlier so can you take us back to the National Cross Country Championships in Perth. I think it was 2007. Now, Ryan, yeah. I think we just saw walking behind you there, won the under-18s, <laughs> yeah. and he was pretty keen to let you know about it in an attempt to impress, wasn't he? Yeah. I, I, he's probably upstairs with the door closed, like a podcast in his ears, because he hates this story. But <laughs> it is true to every word that I say, and I'm not exaggerating. 
Um, yeah, Ryan was, he was just a star. I say he was a prodigy, but he was, he was breaking Craig Mottram's records back then. Like he was just the next biggest thing in cross country and athletics. And at his under 18s, he won by a mile again. And me being an, a year older, he saw me as this kind of intimidating older woman that would show no interest, but I, as just a Queenslander that, you know, was consistently in the top three, but definitely no superstar and wasn't breaking any records. Um, and he used to laugh at me because I used to run in bare feet. So he just kind of called me a bogan and from Queensland. Um, we, I'd finished my race. I think I'd come third or second and I could see him coming over to me with a little entourage of boys that were probably in his race that thought he was, you know, the kingpin. And they all had their shirts off looking gawkier and skinnier than ever. Um, he probably even had braces and, you know, this weird choker necklace that he used to wear as his statement piece. Um, and he, yeah, walked up to me and kind of just leaned over and he said, Hey, Genevieve, <laughs> I looked up probably shocked that he knew my name. And I was like, yes. And he goes, do you like what you see? And I just remember thinking you are as arrogant as I thought you were. And I, I don't even think I responded. I just turned away thinking like that, this kid needs a reality check. Like he won cross country. Like, what is that? It's not even a <laughs> mainstream sport. Um, but the rest is history because we just weirdly kept in touch over Facebook. Facebook was kind of just um, becoming a thing. I think I joined in 2008 and he claims that he saw photos of me from 2006 making some world's team um, in Italy and he just said he kind of kept tabs on me ever since and I think in 2009 we met at Penn Relays. He was there professionally and I was there as a college athlete so we kind of said hi briefly. Um, he invited me to a Christmas party at the end of 2009 and I turned up and he had a girlfriend there and I felt like a loser so I left. Um, and by 2012, um, you know, we we spoke to each other in the village and had, you know, hung out a lot. But again, I was going back to America. He was running professionally and it wasn't until 2013 where I was coming over to Europe. I'd um, recently been single from a boy that I was dating in America and he said, I'll come watch you race. And he was my lucky charm. I fell on the barrier, broke my ankle and we ended up deciding to spend 12 days together just um, hanging out because I couldn't fly. I wasn't allowed to due to having a broken ankle. And yeah, a few weeks later, we decided that we wanted to officially start dating. And we've been dating since 2013. Well, we're married now, but we were dating from 2013 um, in July. And he convinced me that the best thing, he got girls in the group to email me and say, you should join our group. You know, you do really well in MTC. So I ended up um, asking Nick Bedeau to be my coach at the end of 2013 and, yeah, travelling the world with Ryan ever since, and um, we've never looked back. So he's uh, embarrassed by that story. Is there one I can embarrass you on? I look at Glasgow 2014 when you jump on stage <laughs> when Kylie's uh, doing the closing ceremony. It might have even been locomotion. So things seem to happen on your birthday. I think that was your 25th birthday. Does that embarrass you at all, or are you happy with your, uh, your, your, your appearance as a dancer on stage there? I um I can't rewatch my interviews because it's too cringy to listen to me speak about how I saw it as an opportunity to get on stage with Kylie. But I don't regret doing like it's funny that I did it, but at the time I'm kind of like what was everyone around me doing? Like where was my voices of reason? <laughs> um firstly my boyfriend at the time was nowhere to be seen. I think he was with Johnny Stephenson um yeah at the bar or something. So I didn't have my boyfriend to tell me what I was doing was wrong. Um, I think I was next to Eloise Wellings and I was convincing her to come up with me, but she 
kindly rejected the offer. And yeah, I think someone handed me a flag. So that was all the interaction I had with the athletes around me. Um, but I think, yeah, the hard thing to listen to is if you go on YouTube, there's an interview of me, um, you know, someone saying, oh, what were you thinking jumping up there? And I was like, oh, it was just my 25th birthday. I thought this is a great opportunity. They can't, I can't listen to that. It's just really hard. I love that. Um, you only live once. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're talking to Genevieve Gregson on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's so much to get to in so little time. We need to talk Rio. We need to talk Commonwealth Games. And we need to talk starting a family. So we'll be back with Jen right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Runner Genevieve Gregson has been our guest today. So, Jen, how much fun was Rio 2016? Ninth in the final, I think another PB, and it's another level up again. Yeah, Rio is um, – I, I did appreciate I say, you know, I probably didn't um, – you know, I probably took it for granted and didn't appreciate it, but I remember being on cloud nine every day I was in Rio – um, maybe except for the first day when I hadn't competed yet, I was super nervous and I was talking to Ryan um, and we knew that we had awkward schedules. We both, if we both ran well, I had four races, he had three and they were always, um, you know, we never really competed with each other. I think we had one day where we were competing on the same day, but the rest were kind of in between and we were just like, I was competing, then he was competing and then I was competing. So it was hard to not have my main support system there, you know, to put the attention on me, I had to make sure that he also felt supported and, and, you know, was ready for his race. But yeah, it was one of those situations where every time I went out on the track, it was a PB and a great result. And that just doesn't happen in this sport. So um, Rio just will go down as one of the best uh, competitions ever. And uh, I didn't expect to make the final in both the 5K and the 3K, so that was an added bonus to just make it, you know, that little bit more special. But also to finish ninth in the world and and know that I was in shape to potentially break the Australian record uh, just goes down as a really, really fun time in my career. And it must be oh so special to have a major event in your own backyard, which was the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and fifth in the final in that one. So chalk this one down as another great moment. Yeah, it was a really great moment just in the sense that, like you said, it was in my um, home backyard. I had all my family there, which you know never happens when we have to travel for major competitions. There was a little bit of a, a damper on that Com Games, mainly because um, Rio had been so good and 27 had started so promising. And then I actually ruptured my planter and then a few weeks later broke my metatarsal. So I came into 2018 a bit underdone and not prepared. And, and part of me, you know, regrets being a little bit um, probably careless with my body the year before a, a home Commonwealth Games. Because I do believe, you know, meddling would have been, you know, the pinnacle and, and summed up, you know, a great Com Games. But in saying that, I can look back and think, you know, I'd cross trained my butt off to be there and put on a show for my family and friends and, um, Ryan and I were newly engaged at the time. So there was a lot of celebrating just in general. And um, 
of course, I can look back at that Com Games and see it as a really special time in my life. So you're about to start a family. You're a few weeks away from having a baby. I mean, how do you? How do you? Are you daunted? Are you excited? Are you everything rolled into into one? Yeah, I think Ryan and I will be the most naive parents in the world right now because I was lying in bed last night. I'm 35 weeks, nearly 36 weeks. Um, I'm actually measuring big, so this baby is growing and it'll be ready to come out soon. Um, and I just said to Ryan, I said, you know, if I started having contractions on my water broke right now, we'd be absolutely screwed. Like we don't have a nursery. We don't have a bassinet. We don't have a car seat. We don't even know where to drop me off at the emergency at the hospital. Like we've gone through nothing. So he promised me today after this interview, we would um, sit down and, and go through a plan of what we're doing if my waters break or contractions start. Good idea. But I think that's just us. We, we take things in our stride and I think we'll be great parents because we've done everything together. Um, we're very adaptive and, and we learn to um, tackle challenges together and this will definitely be a challenge, but it'll also have a lot of beauty in it as our first child and it's going to be a boy oh it's going to be a boy awesome so will you get him on the wheatgrass straight away do you reckon yeah i'll have to fight ryan for that (laughs) because he thinks crazy he thinks my dad's upbringing with us was just backwards so parenting yeah we'll have to address how we're parenting this child because um we're coming from two opposite ends of the spectrum and both were successful so like what's right it's so exciting so when you have a a happy healthy uh little boy and you come time to get your body into running again do the spikes stay in the long-term storage i think my Achilles tendons won't be um allowing my body to put spikes on but then again like I love the 5k and the 10k and you know that that's still on the track and that requires spikes if you need them but um my passion for a while now before I ruptured my Achilles before I fell pregnant was running on the road I've had so much success in road races anywhere from you know 5k to 10k and um, I've always wanted to be a marathon runner. I just was kind of stuck in that mindset of, you know, I'm a track runner. I'm, I'm good at it. How do you make that jump? And I think now um, it gives me an opportunity to start pursuing that, that more, uh, you know, the distance running and moving up to the marathon work. And it, people don't realize this, but marathon training is so much lighter on your tendons and muscles and your joints because you're not doing the fast stuff, the hill sprints, the plyometrics, the really intense gym work. Um, so as you get older, people tend to to drift in distance. So my aim now is to be doing some sort of road racing at the end of this year. I don't think I'll be breaking records or doing anything too impressive, but um, I do have all of 2023 to get a marathon in and aim to qualify for Paris and, and try and make my fourth Olympic Games as a marathon runner. So that is the big goal, isn't it? Is Paris and it is on the road yeah. in the marathon. Yeah, that's that's my main goal. And I think that it's the first time I probably set my first goal being so far away, but I think my body's going to need the time um, just with all the changes that I'll be facing. But um, Ryan's right there with me. He wants to dabble in the marathon. So I think together we'll just slowly start adjusting our training um, with our coach to, to angle towards, yeah, the longer stuff in Paris. So exciting. Genevieve, thanks for joining us today. What a whirlwind of a journey you've had. Olympic finals to serious injury, but the pursuit of excellence, you know, isn't easy. You put yourself out there and you push your body to the limit, and that is so admirable. Best of luck with starting the family. We better let you go car seat shopping, and we'll see you on the road. (laughs) 
Great. No, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed telling my story and yeah, wish us luck. And we will do. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you in the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.